Good morning, church. It's a joy to worship with you. Glad you're here. For those of you um, maybe here for the first time don't know who I am, my name is Rusty. And, uh, so glad that Tom and Lee, you could be with us here. Uh, and they're, they're um, in Manitoba in January. Why would you do that? Um, only because Mission Fest is in two weekends. So if you have never been to Mission Fest, this is just a great opportunity. It's at Church of the Rock in two weekends. You can find more information online. Um, just a great opportunity to, to learn and to hear what God is doing in the world, many exciting things. And just to hear how God is working through your ministry is inspiring. And to think that we have a part of that here is really awesome to partner with you. Um, and just to think like, yeah, when we send that money to translate that church, like, we're going to meet Afghani people in heaven that are going to be there because of seeds that were planted by us. And we're only going to know the fullness of the impact of what we do and what we give in the future. And that's just going to be exciting to see what God will do with all of that. But actually, as they were talking this morning, a, uh, a thought came to me that I haven't remembered in a long time. When I was a boy, I had this fascination with Afghanistan. I felt God was calling me into ministry, and I thought maybe He wanted to be a missionary, and, and I thought maybe He wanted to be a missionary in Afghanistan. I wasn't sure why, other than the fact that I was a kid with a little bit of OCD, and it was the first country alphabetically, Afghanistan. In fact, I wanted to go to Albania. I thought He was calling me to Albania, and then I discovered Afghanistan came first, and then I switched to Afghanistan. And, um, uh, but as a, I don't know, 10, 11, 12-year-old, I went to the Medicine at Public Library and took out every book they had on Afghanistan, probably five books. Uh, that no one else had read. I checked the cards in them. You remember the cards in library books? And uh, I read through every one of those books multiple times And because uh, I just had the sense that God was maybe calling me to be a missionary in Afghanistan, and I haven't made it. Uh, but I haven't thought of that in a long time. And just to think how cool, how God brings things full circle, be a, be a part of just planting seeds that will bear fruit in Afghanistan. Um, what a cool thing. Well, uh, our CMT, which is what we call, that's the acronym, our Congregational Ministry Team, that's our church board, we meet the second Thursday of every month. And over this last year, as a team, we've been going through a book called uh, The DNA of a Christ Follower. It goes through eight, identifies eight essential traits of, of a Christian. And so each month, we've been taking one of these traits and going through that book and having a discussion together as a leadership team. And so last week, we took a look at that eighth and final essential trait of a Christ follower. It was led by Greg Lowen, our chair, uh, chairman of that uh, CMT. And uh, that trait of a Christian was that a Christian is focused on eternity. Focused on eternity. So Greg led us in a conversation, and he posed this question to us that meeting. He asked us, how does focusing on eternity make a difference in your life today? How does focusing on eternity make a difference in your life today? And we went around the room and everybody gave an answer and it was really interesting to hear different people's perspectives of how a focus on the future makes a difference today. And so, let me pose that question to you. How does focusing on, a, on eternity make a difference in your life today? How will it make a difference in your life tomorrow? This is the question that Paul is addressing in this text. You know, he said there in verse 10, and we covered some of those verses last week, but 
verse 10 uh, shares with us kind of uh, the, the cry, the prayer of Paul's heart, which is, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Him better. I want to know the power of His resurrection. I want to participate in His sufferings. I want to know Christ. This is the one thing that Paul now pursues in life, is knowing Christ better. And he's going to share with us a sports analogy. He's going to share with us what it is that looks like, how we're supposed to do that as Christ followers. And now some of you, you don't like, you get sick resting other sports analogy. Um... Read some books, Rusty. Jeez. But I only do it because, like, this is what Paul did. Paul was always using sports analogies. It's biblical, people, okay? Paul often talks about the Christian life as a race, right? Running a race over and over again. And so he comes back to this analogy of the Christian life, not just really the Christian life, but life in general. We're all running a race, He says this in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this, that is, knowing Christ fully, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about the Christian life uh, like a race. And, and what we see here is it's not a sprint sort of race. It's a marathon because it takes time and sustained effort because sprinting requires power, but a marathon requires perseverance. Sprinting is all about muscles, but, but running a long race, a marathon is all about the mind. It's a mind game. Everyone is running a race. Like I said, everyone's pursuing something, whether they know it or not. Everyone is striving to know something or someone. The question is what? What are people running after? Last week, Paul, he, he, he showed us how he came to a realization that he had been pursuing the wrong thing. He had been running the wrong race. Now, I may share this story before, but uh, years ago, when I first ran the Manitoba Half Marathon, I've done it twice, and this year, June 18th, I'm going to do it again. The drummer, Mike, he texted me yesterday saying, hey, I'm off, like, do you want to run the race? I'm like, yep, let's do it. And so June 18th, I'm going to attempt that. And I was going to do it last year, but then I didn't. But this is the year, right? Because hope springs eternal. This year's going to be different. But I ran it years ago, and I remember finishing this race, I was just beat. So I finished half marathon. It was still when the U of M had their football stadium. I think that's gone now. And you would finish the race by coming in and running one lap of the track, and then the finish line was there. And so I had finished, uh, dead tired, joined my wife up in the stands, and uh, it wasn't long before the first marathoner, full marathoner finished. And they announced that. The first female full marathoner is entering the stadium. Would you rise? And everybody stood and started to applause. And then that applause turned to kind of confusion when we saw this woman turn the corner into the arena. But it was a woman that didn't look like a marathon runner, okay? Just to put it in, in, in kind terms, okay? She did not have the physique or the form of a marathon runner, We were confused, but she ran the lap, she ran through the tape they had held out, they put the laurel on her head, they put a a winner's medal on her neck, and then they put her in a stretcher in an ambulance and took her to the hospital. Serious, they did. 
And we were all kind of confused. And then we actually, I heard the next morning on CTV News Winnipeg that she had run the wrong race. There was an error. She had registered for the full marathon, had the full marathon bib on, but actually run the half marathon. She was one of the last half marathoners. Uh, but she had taken a wrong turn, and, uh, and she had run the half marathon when she had registered for the full marathon. And so she had run the wrong race, and they took the prize away from her, and it was all kind of rather embarrassing. You know, it's possible to run the wrong race, and, and this is what Paul realized. He had been running the wrong race right? He had been trying to earn God's approval through His goodness. That was His race. The starting line was God's laws, the rules. The finish line was God's approval. And His life was an effort through His own goodness, right, His righteousness to try to get to the finish line and earn God's acceptance, His approval. That had been His race. Then He encountered Jesus. Then He encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ and His race changed. He started running a different race. No longer was God's approval the finish line which he was pursuing with his efforts, but now he realized that God's approval is actually how you start the race. It's the start line. He realized that God through his son Jesus who had come, right, to live the fully righteous life that we all fell short of, he came and he lived that that, that perfect life and he died on the cross in Paul's place and my place and your place and he took on himself the penalty for our sin and he bore that so that we could receive the forgiveness of God and that Jesus' righteousness could be given to us freely by God's grace to all who believe in Jesus. It was no longer our efforts over the course of a lifetime to win God's approval. No, it was freely given to us through faith in Jesus. He earned it for us. And that's how the race began. It begins with God's approval. The finish line now, Paul says, is knowing Christ fully. That's what he's pursuing. No longer God's approval. He has that. That's what's inspiring him to keep going, to know Christ better, to be more like Christ in his own character. And so now this was his effort to know Him better. And so the word earn is not a good word for the Christian. We don't use the word earn because we can't earn any acceptance from God. That's the wrong race. That's the race he had been running, right? But Christians do have the word effort, okay? So it's not true that, like Paul said, it's not true that God's approval is the finish line that we strive for with our good efforts, but it's also not true that the finish line is praying a prayer to ask Jesus into your heart and then that's it. That's the end. What he's saying is, that's the start line, right? That's the start line, right? Now the Christian's life is not one of earning, but it is one of effort. Effort, right? Because we have experienced the goodness of God in the gospel, then we are those who will strive to know Him better, to honor Him more, to please Him, to find our joy and our happiness more and more fully in Him, the one to whom, not we hope to belong if we're good enough, but the one to whom we already belong through Jesus and he makes that so clear, that, that fundamental shift. Like you'll see that in verse 13 when he says, brothers and sisters, uh, or sorry, verse 12, he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus, what? Took hold of me. What tense is that? Took hold. Think, think of English. Clear and simple media. Past tense, right? Took hold. Not, not hopefully I'll take hold. Of. Jesus, God took hold of me. Right? And so now I press on. 
He says in verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already obtained. In other words, live like you actually are. Live up to the status you already have with God through, through faith in Christ. This is now our race to know Him better. And how do we run? How do we run this race? Now, this is what he's going to focus on. He says in verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. This is how we run the race, by forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Okay, what does Paul mean by forgetting? We need to be a forgetful people. What's the behind that we're supposed to forget? Because everyone in a race, no runner looks back. That's a cardinal rule of running in a race. Never look back. I think what Paul is saying is we are those now who give no thought to the past, no, no thought to past successes or past failures because we can focus on either of those. And Paul knew that in his own life, right? Uh, resting on past achievements. I don't know if you've seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite. It's a classic. Should have won an Oscar, in my opinion, someone who has very sophisticated taste in film. Um, in, in Napoleon Dynamite, there's this character named Uncle Rico. He's probably my age. In my mind, he's old, but he's probably my age. He's probably 40. And uh, in, the, in, in, this, in the movie, he lives in a van, and he wears his high school football jacket, and all he talks about is the glory days of, of his high school achievements, right? And he's always throwing a football. And, and then when he talks, he's talking about his achievements back in high school, right? What, what, what he won. Um, living in the past, right? We talk about our glory days. When we say glory days, it's always like in the past. Why do we do that? The glory days are past days. I mean, as Christians, gl the glory days are the future days. And yet, when we talk about glory days, we're always talking about that point in the past when something was right, when something was good, when I was better, when I was at my best, right? Those were the, those were the glory days. What Paul is saying when he says, forget what's behind us, put do not be distracted by or give any thought to past achievements because he had done that, right? I mean, last week, we looked, he had made a list of all of his achievements, and he says, I no longer think of that at all as I run this race. It has no value. So forgetting what is behind means not giving any thought to past achievements, and we can do that as Christians, can't we? Like running on the fumes of what happened in the past, past service. But also, forgetting what lies behind, I, I think, is also a reference to our failures. He's saying, don't focus on your past sin, your past failures, where you messed up. Forget it. I mean, Paul could have done that. He had done terrible things. He had done great things, but he, had done, he was, by, I guess, a legal definition, a murderer, right? He had killed Christians. He could have... You know, he could have been motivated by guilt and debt to pay God back through his efforts, you know, to undo all that bad stuff he had done. No, he gave that no heed. He thought nothing of that. This is what he says in, in Timothy chapter 1, verses 15. 
In 16, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He says, I'm the worst of sinners. And it's interesting, he doesn't say God chose me to do his work in spite of what I'd done, but because of that. So that I might be a trophy of God's grace. So that God might show his, his desires, willingness, his longingness to forgive and to make new. To not be chained by the past. And so Paul, he had forgotten those past sins and failures. And, you know, sometimes I think we can tend to carry those around with us, right? Right? They just weigh us down in our backpack. It's guilt, it's shame. We feel like we have this debt to God. Or, or, or maybe you feel like people ought to do that. Like, man, if, if you, that's a part of your past, you kind of should carry that around with you. And the rest of life is kind of paying penance to God. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying we are not those who are motivated by guilt or debt to pay God back. That's not why we run the race at all. Because God forgives, we can and are to forget What lies behind? Because it's not about the past. Paul is saying it doesn't matter how you start, it's how you finish that matters. Okay, Christian? Because some of you got great things in your past, maybe you got terrible things in your past. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you start. What matters is how you finish. What you did last is never as important as what you did next. Which is also a, which is a challenge. We can't rest or put our assurance in the past, but it's also a great liberation. We have a new day. We have a new day. What you did last is never as important as what you do next. And it doesn't matter what you did last. So what is ahead? He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. What is he talking about ahead? Like, is, is he talking about that pastor's conference that's happening in Ephesus the next weekend? That's what he's thinking about, the next thing. I don't think that's what he's talking about because look how he continues. In verse, verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Heavenward in Christ Jesus. So what is the ahead that he's straining towards? He's, he's focused on eternity, right? He's straining towards the life to come, heaven. That's where he's setting his mind, his eyes, you know, when I uh, learned to drive years ago, um, I, I remember very clearly being, being told this principle of driving. When you drive, never look to your left or to your right or to the road right in front of you. Always look in the distance at the horizon. Because what do new drivers tend to do? They think that they'll look at the dash on the road in front of them or the car in front of them or the, or the semi beside them, right? And now I've got a 16-year-old who's driving and I'm with her and she's doing a great job and so, the other day, she's on Highway 7, passing a semi. Well, this is kind of a new experience. I was kind of nervous to pass a semi. And I said to her, don't look at the semi, okay? Because here, here's a principle. Your eyes, you will move towards what your eyes focus on. You will move towards what your eyes focus on, whether you want to or not, right? You look at the semi, so you don't hit the semi, and what do you do? You will do this. You get to the edge of a cliff. Why do you, why do you feel it's pulled to fall off a cliff? You're like, don't go near the cliff. Don't go near the cliff. It's like you're focused on the cliff, and it's because your eyes, right? Your eyes dictate your direction. You'll go where your eyes are fixated. 
And so, and so when you drive, if you want to go straight, if you want to avoid the ditch, the obstacles, fix your eyes on the horizon at a distance, and then you'll, you'll travel well. And this is what he's saying. I have fixed my sight there. The horizon, heaven. And Paul, to kind of elaborate, he compares these two mindsets. This earthly mindset and this heavenly mindset. Look what he says in verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he lists some of the characteristics of these people. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Who are these enemies of the cross he's talking about? We, we don't know for sure, but it's almost certainly he's not just talking about pagans, you know. He's talking about people that claim to be Christians. People that claim to be Christians, and yet, if you look at their life, it looks like their mind is actually set very much like on, on earthly things, right? They're focused on, you know, the pleasures of this life, right? Satisfying the urges and the, the, endire, the desires of our flesh, temporal things, right? Their, their mindset is on the earth, Paul says. They're preoccupied with indulging the thing that's right in front of their face, or that urge they're feeling in the moment, right? He says, food is, or stomach is their God. Now, God is good. He gave us taste buds because He wants us to enjoy food, right? Like, He gave us the appetite for that's, the ap- like, our, we are sexual beings. He gave us this sexual appetite. This is, this is a part of good, God's good design for who we are as human beings, right? But then some of the people, they were taking that, and then they made that per- their pursuit, Right? Their stomach is their God. It's a way of saying they obeyed their stomach. If they wanted it, they got it. If they felt the urge, they took it. And he says runners running a race, they don't do that, right? In Hebrews chapter 2, throw out everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance, the race marked out for us because every runner knows to run well, right? You got to like be disciplined. At times you got to deny yourself, right? And not just focus on the pleasure in the present moment, And that's what these Christians were doing. They were preoccupied with the things right in front of their face. Earthly, immediate, yet temporary pleasure and joys. They found glory in those things. And Paul's warning us here not to be like that. Right? That's to be like the person driving that's looking at the ditch. Looking right in front of the road. Looking at the semi beside them. Not to focus unpleasant pleasure, pleasure in, um, in this life, right? Because he says their destiny is, there is uh, destruction because all those things come to an end. They're temporary. They're fleeting, right? Ultimately, they end. Paul says we need to have a different mindset, not those that uh, are set on earthly things but on heavenly things. He says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, We don't belong here. This is not our home. We do have a home, but this is not our home. We are migrants traveling through to our final destination. And so we don't live as if this is our home, right? We live in anticipation. We live in anticipation and expectation of what is to come. We have a future-oriented sight. 
He says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will become like his glorious body. So, so what are we anticipating? What are we waiting for? Whatever mind on? Well, when Jesus comes, he's going to usher in a new reality, the fullness of God's kingdom, the fullness of the knowledge of God and sharing in God's glory. And he describes this, uh, the transformation of our lowly bodies to our glorious bodies. And he's essentially just saying, like, just like Jesus rose from the dead, right, in a, in a resurrected body, a glorious body, whatever that looks like, whatever that means, you and I can't fully fathom that. But it's a body, it's a life free of the stain of, of, of sickness, of sin, of weakness. The way God intended from the beginning is creation. He will purify us. He will purify His creation. And it will be glorious. So, so what the, the future He's talking about is not this disembodied spirit playing a harp in a white robe, eating cream cheese on a cloud. Like, don't get your theology from, from Philadelphia cream cheese, from Kraft, okay? Kraft is terrible theology, right? That's not this disembodied, that's not, that's not the glorious future that God has for all who believe in Him, that when Jesus comes, He will bring us into. No, if you go to the end of the Bible, right, when you read Revelation chapter 21, it describes on that day, right, what God will make all things new. He will renew heaven and earth. He will dwell together with His people forever and there will be no more sickness or sorrow or pain or sin. Glorious. And that is the destiny of all who have faith in Christ. We will know His fullness. And that's what's going to be the greatest thing. It's not like, ooh, heaven mansions. I hope I have like a big pool in my backyard and a big screen TV and you know, like... That's not what was pursuing him, the idea that he'd have a big house up there. That's what it's about. I mean, who knows what that reality will look like, but what animated, what, what, what excited the heart of Paul, we see, in, um, we see in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, you know that love chapter at the end when he says in verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, now in this life on earth, then... In the future, in heaven, we shall see face to face. For now I know in part, but, I sh- but then I shall, be, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What, what he was excited about was knowing the fullness of God, the fullness of God's love, and his, the beauty of his holiness, and that fellowship with God, in that full knowledge of him. That's what excited Paul. That's what he was pursuing. He says, that's what awaits us. You know, George Mueller, I don't know if he was in the 18th century, he was a, a British guy who um, had founded an orphanage and wrote some books, and he said this. He says, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. That's Paul's way of saying, there's one thing I do now, right? I, I, I press on to know Christ. That's what he's saying. The thing that I'm to attend to every day now is to have my soul happy in the Lord. The more we know of God, the happier we are. When we became a little acquainted with God, our happiness began. And the more we became acquainted with Him, the more truly happy we become. What will make us so exceedingly happy in heaven? It will be 
fuller knowledge of God. To know the glory of God and to share in that that will be for us the fullness of joy. And so you can throw this, princip- this uh, statement up there, um, Leslie, but if there's, I think, um, a summary of what Paul is saying here and in this message, it's this, today's joy is found in tomorrow's glory. Because there's a lot of people pursuing today's joy and today's things. And that, th- th- that it cannot sustain that. Food, sex, travel, whatever else, it cannot sustain that. Today's joy is found in tomorrow's glory, future glory. That's what Paul is saying. We, we, we will know, the key to joy is to have our sight heavenward. So coming back to that question that was posed at the CMT meeting, what difference does focusing on eternity make today for me? So I thought of that. And you maybe know me well enough to know that I just, I love to travel. You go to my office, my flag collection is just maps on the wall. I want to go everywhere. I want to see everything. I want to hike every trail. If you, if you go to my bookshelf at home, it's just full of best places to do this, best places to go, top hikes, blah, 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 right? Man, my bucket list is long. It's a long bucket list. And I'm running out of time. Because I'm old now. Like, I'm 42 <laughs> in May. Like, okay, but statistically, statistically, I'm over half done my life. Right? Like, in Canada... Thank you. Thank you, Monica. <laughs> Statistically in Canada, if you're a male, you got 81 years. You got 81 years. I did the math. I'm over halfway. And you know what happens when you're over halfway? You have a midlife crisis, right? What is a midlife crisis? It's this panic that comes on you when you realize you're running out of time. There's not much time left to do all the things. And so you buy the Harley or you do this or, you, or, or whatever that is, right? But I feel that. Sometimes I feel that panic ebbing in me, that all these things that I want, I will, ne- I will never see most of the things I want to see. I'll never do most of the things I want to do. I'm only going to get weaker. I'm not going to get stronger. And sometimes that, that can be hard to cope with that. You know, that's, I mean, what is a midlife crisis? It's essentially just a form of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. I mean, what difference does focusing on eternity makes for, makes for me? It, 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 it means I don't have to suffer from FOMO. You know what it means for me? It means I've got a lot of time to experience a lot of things. I have way more ahead of me than I have behind me. All the stuff I'm going to experience, it, it's, it, it's going to make all of this stuff that I'll never do in place I'll never see just like pale in comparison. And so when I think of that, not like, oh, I'm running out of time to do all of that, that kind of that panic. No, I have this glorious future which far outweighs the things of this earth or all the things I could pursue here. What it does for me is it just kind of, it brings me that peace and that joy that I don't need all of those things. I don't have to run after and pursue them because there's more glory in the future. I don't need to have FOMO or YOLO. You know the young kids, they like acronyms, right? That mindset, YOLO, you only live once. You've heard that? You only live once. Do it all, you only live once. 
What Paul is saying here is that the gospel changes YOLO to YODO, right? You only die once. Instead of you only live once, so just try to get it all done. It's like you only die once. Isn't that what Jesus said? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives, whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Is it appointed once for man to die and then to stand before God and face judgment and to receive what is coming from him? The righteous to eternal life, right? Forget YOLO. It's YODO. You only die once. So that frees me from, instead of having to try to like do it all and because and, I, I feel that, right? Time is running out. I got to use my resources to like do the, feed the stomach because you're going to go and you're going to get your tax receipt here in a few minutes if you gave in 2022 like I did and I looked at it and you know what I felt almost right away? I started doing math. What could I have done with that? Hmm. That's two trips to that place that I've always wanted to go. Could have gone there, could have gone to, the, Anna could have gotten that. And you know what, if you go do that, you'll, you'll, you, you might feel the same thing, right? I could have done with that. And, and, and focusing on eternity kind of frees us from that impulse, that, that requirement to have to try to find that in the moment because it can't fully and finally be found in all of that anyway. It frees me to be useful in this world. It gives me the ability to sacrifice because I know whatever I lay down here, right, all that's leading to something far more glorious and permanent. It just frees me to be able to be obedient and follow God and serve Him and sacrifice and serve others in this world. You know, the morning of, of that meeting, that CMT meeting where Greg posed that question, um, Eric and I were leaving. She was going to work. I was going to work. She said to me at the door, she said, Rusty, boy, our lives are stressful. I don't know what was going on, what we were talking about. Have you ever, you ever thought that or heard, you know, said that to yourself? Boy, my life is stressful. And she said that, and I thought of that, and, and then I said, yeah, yeah. And I said, aren't you glad that a day is coming? And there's no more stress. And then you will live stress-free forever and ever and ever. Isn't that awesome? And when I think on that, you know, whatever, whatever it was that's causing stress, when I take my eyes off of that and then I look at the horizon, right, heavenward, what does that do? That, that just allows me to kind of whatever I've got to go through to persevere, to endure to keep going. That's the difference it makes in my life, the power to persevere through difficult things. Isn't that what Paul said about his own experience? Like, listen to the words of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6. He says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us what? To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Because that's, you know, that's where joy is to give us light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. For we have this treasure, right? It's the glory of God in jars of clay, that is these lowly bodies, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. For we are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is eternal, but what is unseen is temporary. He says, man, life is hard. It's stressful. You know, I feel like I'm wasting away age, weakness, disease, persecution, trials, whatever it is. Yet inwardly at the same time, I find myself being renewed day by day, this hope and this joy. Why? It's because my, my sight is heavenward, and I know that all of these things I'm going through, compared to the weight of eternal glory, he says, are just light and momentary troubles. And all of that, as I do that, as I pursue Christ... All of that is achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, which means we're going to go to heaven, and in ways that we don't know now, we're going to experience all the fruits of all the faithfulness in this life. Whether it's meeting that guy from Afghanistan I didn't know existed, but sometime in church, I put in this offering, and we collected that, and it did that, and for all eternity, I get to enjoy this guy. And every day you go through life, planting seeds, obeying God, pursuing Him, trying to be faithful. And He says all of that and all of its challenges ultimately is light and momentary compared to the eternal glory that all of that is creating that we will enjoy forever and ever and ever. And so I fix my eyes not on what is here, but on the unseen and the eternal. And when I do, I find myself being renewed day by day. That's the key to joy. Present joy is found in tomorrow's glory. So fix your focus on tomorrow's glory. How do you do that? Well, I've run out of time. But maybe you want to go home and look at verse 17, because 17 gives one answer to how you can do that, but that'll be for your own time. Today's, found, today's joy is found in tomorrow's Glory. So, where are you fixing your focus? Is your mind set too much on earthly things or on heavenly things? Here's this question. Maybe the question that I began with is the question you need to bring home you know, to your tables if you're going to eat with family or friends or maybe to your life group. Here's something to think on and talk about together. What difference does focusing on eternity make in your life today? What tangible difference? And then how can you maintain a heavenward mindset? Right, for that is the pathway to true, true joy. Let's pray. God, we thank you that um, even though many people pray to God and call you God and creator. Lord, we, we can call you God because you are in creator because you made us and you made all the earth and you are sovereign over all things. And yet more than that, we can call you Father. Oh, that through your son Jesus, just by believing in him, that we've been brought into a relationship with you like a child with a father. You have adopted us. We belong to you. You've taken hold of us and you will not let go of us. And so we don't have to try to strive to like lay hold of you because you have us, Lord. We can now just live life pursuing you, trying to get to know you better and better 
and better. And we just thank you, God, for what awaits us, Lord, in eternity. We know in this life we will have troubles. Um, but Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. And where I am, there you will also be. And so, Lord, would you just help us um, day by day as we go back into our lives, our workplaces, our schools, our families, our neighborhoods, Lord, would you just um, give us the ability to, to lift our eyes off of worldly things and to join Paul in just focusing on, the, on, on, on heaven, on the future, the horizon, Lord. Would you just show us how we can shift our focus and keep that there? And I thank you, God, that we can do that together, Lord. Um, as Paul said there, we didn't, we didn't look at it, but he said, follow my example and, and set your eyes on others like us who are living like we do. And we thank you, God, that we don't have to do this alone. We do this in, as, as one family in community. Lord, would you just use us to spur one another on? Lord, because any of us who have run a race know that it's a lot easier to keep going when you're running with somebody. When the side aches come and the cramps come, like just having a running partner, being in a group just gives us the ability to keep going. So, Lord, would you use us to, to be that to one another, um, to spur one another on, Lord? And um, yeah, I just pray that you would fix our hearts um, on your glory. Make that our primary pursuit. In Jesus' name, amen.